0: First Corinthians chapter two, verse six through the end of the chapter. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's holy and errant and spirit-inspired word. When I was a kid, my favorite thing, um, probably from the age of like 6 to 12, was listening to Adventures in Odyssey. And I collected all the Adventures in Odyssey albums. Do you guys know what Adventures in Odyssey is? Yeah, thank you. Testify. Um, so every Christmas, that's what I asked for, and I would, I would organize the CDs, and, and I would just sit. And, this is the kind of kid I was. I was. I was a blast to hang out with. I would sit crisscross applesauce in the middle of my floor and just listen to them for hours on end. Had a lot of friends. Um, and then I got older, and um, I, gave, I gave them away to, to a young friend who was getting to them thinking I would never need them again. Well, guess who loves Adventures in Odyssey now? And guess uh, that would be my child. And guess who had to buy them all over again? That would be me. There's one episode that we've listened to where there's a new kid in town. And uh, some of the boys are curious about what he's up to. Uh, They don't don't know him, uh, but they see him running errands. He's going into certain stores, and he's buying lumber, and then he's heading out of town. And they let their imaginations run wild with them about what he could possibly be up to. And because they don't know him, they can only think of really bad things or scary things. There can't be anything good coming out of this. Um, But as it turns out, what happens is when they finally get up the courage to... to, uh, Well, actually, they don't get the courage. They bump into this kid. They find out that what he'd been building is a treehouse in the middle of the woods for the whole neighborhood. All the kids could play with it. So something they were scared of was actually something that was for their good. He calls it Wonder World. And they're so excited. And then they're ashamed that they had been thinking of... uh, uh, anything less, and they were th- had all these bad ideas about what this uh, kid, Diggory, was, was up to. Uh, they assigned all sorts of motives, but they're all wrong. And the natural man is like that, Paul says. When you don't know God, you don't know what he's up to. These kids did not know Diggory, and therefore they didn't know what he was up to. Uh, the natural man, or woman, They see that God is up to something, but they draw wrong conclusions, entirely wrong conclusions. And what I hope for us this evening to learn from this text is that as believers, we are actually able not only to see what God is doing, to see what God is up to, but actually to get what he's up to, to get it, to understand it there's going to be limitations to that, of course, in our fallen nature. I'll give the caveat there. It'll come up again later. But that is the thrust of what Paul's saying. When you have the Spirit of God, you can actually know what God's up to, which is completely different from the natural man. Well, Paul starts there, though, this idea of not understanding God. He talks about the ways of God being hidden. That's the first thing. Then we're going to see how the ways of God become revealed. And then finally, how they're imparted to us. First, though, the ways of God are hidden. Uh, you see that in verse uh, 6, we start with, um, can, or we continue a theme that that Paul's been um, riffing on for paragraphs now of wisdom. So far in this epistle, he's only been saying negative things about wisdom, uh, disparaging the wisdom of the world. Now, in verse 6, he speaks positively. He says, well, now, yes, of course, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. But the reason he speaks positively of this wisdom is because, of course, he's not talking about the world's wisdom, but God's wisdom. God's wisdom. And the way he describes God's wisdom is to talk about how hidden it is, how indiscernible it really is. Paul begins this section by insisting that God's ways are hidden from humanity. And in fact, he says that at least five different ways in these verses. Verse 7, We impart, or we're talking about, literally, we're speaking of a secret hidden wisdom. There's one instance, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. That's another instance, right? Jesus is so beautiful and so glorious and so good that people didn't get it. They couldn't perceive it through human senses, and therefore they crucified He who was the Lord of glory, is the Lord of glory. Uh, Verse 9, Paul says, that this way of God is something that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and the heart of man hasn't even dreamed up. Uh, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, their folly to him. The way of God is hidden to humanity. That's the kind of main point that Paul is making here. Why is it? What is the camouflaging characteristic of the way of God or the will of God, the way that God works I want you to note, it's not that it's invisible. In fact, oftentimes, God's will is staring us in the face. It's not that it's invisible. What makes it hidden is that it's unconventional, it's that we don't expect it. God operates on an entirely different um, set of principles. Than humanity does. Paul's been making that point for a while now. And um, he's not the first one. Isaiah said it, didn't he? Famously, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And now, why is that? Well, it's not that God's ways are concealed and hidden and shut up in a vault that you can't get to. No. Why are God's ways not our ways and his thoughts not our thoughts? And why do we have trouble discerning his ways and his thoughts? It's because we don't lift our heads high enough to the glories of God to perceive what he's doing. Isn't that what Isaiah says? As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above your thoughts and your ways. You're just not lifting yourself up enough to see what I'm doing There's something, therefore, qualitatively different in the way that God operates compared to how we operate. And that fact alone is enough to hide his operations from us, to conceal his ways from us and his workings from us. And to prove that, Paul quotes from a portion of Isaiah in verse 9. Look there. His point as he introduces this verse is to say he's not making this up, this fact that God's wisdom is a wisdom that is secret and and undiscerned because he says it is written. I'm going to prove to you. I'm not the first one saying this. It's written. (coughs) Excuse me. It was written a long time ago that people wouldn't get what God's up to. And so we read this passage. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Many people read this and they uh, restrict what Paul's referring to, or Isaiah, as he quotes Isaiah, to something that's, that's uh, only in the future, that this is talking about heaven. No eye has, has seen and no ear has heard, no heart can imagine what God is preparing for us in heaven. Amen to that. That's true. That's not what he says, though. What God has prepared. It's absolutely true that we do not know the full extent of the glories of that are to come. But I believe the context is is telling us uh, that that this is actually about something God's already done. What has Paul been talking about so far in chapter 1 and into chapter 2? Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. I came to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? Verse 22 of chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. This is uh, verse uh, 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul is talking about the wisdom of God that's been displayed at the cross. This is what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye could foresee Calvary. No ear overheard someone talking about this plan That God's going to send his son who will die for his people outside a city wall there in Jerusalem. No eye could foresee it. No ear could overhear it. And here's the most impressive one to me. No one could ever even imagine that this would be the way God would save his people. Let that sink in for a moment. The heart of man can't imagine. Let that sink in. What is it teaching us? Remember, we're, we're talking about a qualitative difference between God and us. And here is where Paul drives home the point. Dear Christian, your God, your God, your God is greater than you can even imagine. You know your God's great. You've experienced it. You've praised him for it. You rejoice in it. And it's as though Paul says, you don't know the half of it. Isn't that true? And and again, to tie into uh, what, like I mentioned, we normally think of this verse as as pointing us forward. Again, that's a biblical truth. Look at Ephesians 2. It tells us that also. Ephesians 2 definitely has that forward-facing or that forward perspective. Look at Ephesians 2, another well-known passage. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Right, this is, we were dead in trespasses in our sins, but, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You don't know the half of it. In the coming ages, there's still more to come. Even in glory, we will still be receiving the undeserved mercies of God. This is our God, he is greater than we can imagine. Friends, He's better than your best dreams. He's bigger than your biggest hopes. He's deeper than your deepest desires. He's everything and more. And here's the best part. When we think about our dreams and our hopes and our desires, God is more real than those things too. Not only is he better than them, he's more real than those things. Because often our dreams are just that, aren't they? They're just dreams They never materialize. They're just fantasies. They belong more in the realm of fiction than fact. But this is who God is. He is the God who does more than we could ever ask or imagine. And this is who he is for us. This is who he is for you. The cross of Christ was God's great plan. This great plan. A plan that was so great that nobody could have thought it up on their own. And it was a plan to save sinners like you. He is this God, a God greater than we can imagine. And he's this God for us. But then as Paul comes out of that quotation, we're back in Corinthians. Please look there with me, please, at verse 10. We've seen that the way of God is, is hidden because it's just so qual- qualitatively above different amazing more amazing than anything that we're used to that we just don't see it so the way of god is hidden but then we're told as he comes out of this quotation that the way of god which is hidden has become revealed verse 10 please these things these things these things which no eye has seen nor ears heard god has revealed to us through the spirit so here's a tremendous privilege for the christian Here's a tremendous privilege for the Christian. Not only does God work all things for the Christian, but he reveals his work to the Christian. So God does something for us, yes, but he even reveals things to us. He lets us know. God doesn't leave us in the dark. No, we don't get every detail. Deuteronomy 29, 29, right? The The secret things belong to the Lord, um, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever. So, the point is this God doesn't keep his people in the dark. What we need to know, we know. He shows us. Uh, there's a, a weak analogy, perhaps, with parenting, right? Parents do not tell their children every detail about how the family is run and how the house operates and, and what money comes in and what bills need to be paid and, and all these sorts of details. They don't need to know that. But the children do know what they need to know they know that they're loved. They know that they belong. They know that they better clean their room. When I come up the steps, that room better be clean, right? They know what they need to know. They don't know everything. That's us with God. We don't know everything. Of course we don't know everything. And even the things that God reveals to us, we won't perceive perfectly because we're fallen sinners. But God doesn't leave us in the dark. What we need to know, we know. And you know what you need to know? That you're a terrible sinner, but Christ is a terrific Savior. And he's for you. What we need to know, we know. And that comes from the spirit. You see the emphasis Paul wants to make is on the spirit. Right? He's repeated. that name. I mean the word spirit is repeated over and over. He's the sort of like the main character of these verses. He is alone the one who can make clear to us what would otherwise be hidden. He's the great revealer. If you want to know God, you need his spirit. No one can discover God apart from God revealing himself through the Spirit. Uh, That's implicit in the doctrine of revelation. we talk about revelation, that's a passive word. Something is revealed to us. The knowledge of God is not something that we uncover or discover or find or or search out. But the knowledge of God is something revealed to us. God does that through his Spirit. And the reason why the Spirit can teach us or show us God's way, it's really interesting. Paul makes a really interesting analogy between the spirit of the third person of the Trinity and our spirit, what we would say maybe, you know, our inner being, our mind, our conscience, our soul, whatever you want to call it, our inner self. And this is, this is what he says in um, verse 11 and following. No one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. Uh, basically, Paul is saying this: nobody, nobody knows you except you. Not really. That, now that's kind of that's that's kind of disappointing if you think about it. What he's saying, but it's true. Um, there is nobody in the world who knows what you're thinking ever, ever. Not a single person. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Because we, we have people that we feel like we know really well. People we might even say, I know what they're thinking. And then we might be right if they tell us, oh, that is exactly what I was thinking. Well, that's only if they're telling us the truth. And we don't know if they're telling us the truth. Do you see what I mean? We can never actually know what's going on in someone's head. We only know what they tell us. We can make deductions. But we can never know and nobody can ever ever know what you're thinking and Paul says the only person who can know what you're thinking is yourself no one knows no one comprehends the thoughts uh, except the spirit of that person well at this point we might be prone to despair how could we ever discern God's will in God's way how could we ever know God if I can't even know what another human being is thinking right that might make us despair but in place of despair there's this astounding claim Paul makes we actually can know God because he has given us his spirit look at again verse 11 with me so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God just like nobody comprehends your thoughts except your spirit no one comprehends God except God's spirit and then what does, he ha- what does he say? Now we've not received the spirit of the world, but we have res- received the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's astounding. Paul is saying the thing that we don't have with anyone else, which we need to know their thoughts. We don't have anybody else's spirit. We actually have with God. We have his spirit. I don't I don't even have my wife's mind, and you all thought, "Yeah, we knew that." That's what Carrie said. <laughs> yeah, you certainly don't. But think about the the most intimate person: your spouse, your best friend, your your child, whoever it is, the person you feel like you know better than anyone else. You don't even have their mind. But what does verse sixteen say? We have the mind of Christ. Wow. That means you can know God better than you know your best friend. You can know God better than you know your spouse. Because what you don't have with them, you have with him. You have his spirit. You can know God better than you know your best friend. Not that we do know God better than our best friend... I would hazard to guess that all of us, myself included, know our best friend better than God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Paul says, this has been given to us that we might understand the, freely, the things freely given to us by God. It's there for us. We, we could know these things. We don't always, though. But the point is that God doesn't keep us in the dark. God is not standoffish. He is not antisocial. He wants to be known by his people. And he even gives us his very own spirit so that we can know him. So that we can know the things freely given to us. Right. So that we can know that we're saved. So that we can know that we're justified. So that we can know uh, that we have assurance of eternity before us. These are the things he gives us and he wants us to know them. So that which is hidden to the world now becomes revealed To us, the Spirit enables us to know the mind of God, to know his revealed will and ways. But now, how does that work exactly? How does that knowledge come to us? How does it get imparted to us? That's our final thing, the way of God imparted to us. Paul tells us, he says, verse 13, look there, please. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here, Paul speaks of a new spirit-given vocabulary that, that he and the apostles have. We have words not taught by human wisdom, but words that are taught by the Spirit. And that comes to us today, in 2023, through the words that... That they recorded, the apostles recorded, and have been preserved by an act of God's kind providence in the scriptures that we still have. I'm talking about the, the Bible. Our doctrine of inspiration and infallibility is actually packed into this verse from Paul. Our implications are packed into it. Because what what is he saying? He's not saying that, you know, uh, the apostles woke up one day kind of like, you know, they had this dream where they said, Oh, I just got this idea and I want to write it down sometimes. Maybe we do that. And then they... Um, you know mail a circular letter to the churches and the churches say that's great we really like what you're going for there and we're going to start printing this and distributing this god's out of that equation isn't he okay well a little better would be to say god speaks to the apostles and he gives them some ideas some kind of broad brushstrokes, and then they take it and they categorize the material they organize the material and then and then they distribute it and that's our bible right so it's It's God gave the apostles the ideas, but then really they're the ones who who crafted it and put it in ways we understand. What does Paul say? He says the very words come from the Spirit of God. Not words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. When we read the words of the Bible, you are reading the words of God. And so what's what's the upshot? Here's how Pastor David Strain... Draws it out for us. He says, this ought to be electrifying to us. Pick up the book. The words on the page are the words given by the Spirit to the apostles to communicate to you the revelation of God for the salvation of your soul. This is extraordinary. This is glorious. What a precious book we have in the Holy Scriptures. Friends, pick up the book. It's the words of God. To you, words taught by the Spirit for you. And, and what's interesting, if you think the words are from God, but the words are also about God. So what we have in the Bible is God talking about God. Right? Who better to explain to us His character and His being and His essence and His ways than He Himself? You know, maybe you've been in a situation where you were you were talking to someone, and then and uh, and. Um, uh, they, they're they interrogating you about a conversation you had with a different individual, you know, and maybe they wonder if they are part of the conversation. What did they say about me, you know, and, um, or, or how did they say it, and what do you think they were thinking? And, you know, you're kind of getting interrogated that way, and at one point, or at some point, you probably have to throw up your hands and you say, you'll need to ask them yourself, okay? You need to do that. Um, or, or maybe you 've been in a situation where you 're relaying an anecdote or a story, and then it kind of falls flat and the way to say face is you say, Well, I guess you just had to be there right We have these short, sort of knowledge gaps sometimes when we 're communicating information well you 'll just have to talk to them or you just need to be there. but the Christian when it comes when it comes to understanding God and and what he's doing and what he's up to. The Christian doesn't have to have that sort of frustrating barrier or knowledge gap. The things we need to know have been given to us. He speaks to us directly. We don't need to say, go ask somebody else. Go talk to him yourself. It's in the Bible. And, and, and they are words that correspond to their subject. right? That's what he means when he says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, or we'll go back a little further, I guess. Words taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths. To those who are spiritual, this is what Paul is saying. The Spirit has given us, the apostles, the words to explain the things of God to the people of God. There's a perfect correspondence. It all lines up. It all makes sense. We fit spiritual things to spiritual words so that there's a precise, perfect correlation between the revelation of Jesus Christ and the words on the page that the apostles communicate to us. So we pick up the book. God's way was hidden. It's been revealed, and now it's imparted. The apostles have have recorded for us, and even preaching is is a way in which that, that, that imparting act continues to happen today. Where the Holy Spirit works through a fallen sinner and a fallible preacher to use spiritual truths, spiritual words, to explain spiritual truths to spiritual people, and Paul will make a distinction right between the spiritual person and the natural person, and that's why, sadly, I, I would I would venture to say, sadly, every sermon I've ever preached, in every sermon, there will be two kinds of people that leave. Somebody who says, wow, that was I never saw that before. Right? God is so good. Um, I, I've learned something there. I, I'm moved by that. I love Jesus. That's one person. And then another person who sat there and heard the exact same sermon leaves saying, I have no idea what he was talking about. Spiritual words, talking about spiritual matters to spiritual people. The natural man doesn't understand this. Believer, what a privilege you have. You have the mind of Christ. You can understand these things. And shame on us when we have the mind of Christ and then we don't pay attention. We who have the spirit, who can understand these things, say, well, this week I'm not that into it. When there could be somebody else puzzling over this, perplexed over all of this. They don't get it. Why? Because they haven't been converted We pray for conversions. The Lord uses preaching as a means of conversions. If you're converted today, if you're a Christian today, never take that for granted. Never take that for granted because you have something that somebody else doesn't have. You have the mind of Christ and you can know the ways of God. And that means you can live a life that's pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, We come to your word often uh, flippantly. Uh, We come not with the care and the caution that we should give it, and not with the electrifying eagerness to uncover your word, to meet with your word, to meet with you in it, because we have the Spirit of God, and we can understand your word. You don't leave us in the dark. Hallelujah, we praise you for that. Thank you that you tell us what we need to know. Lord, we could never know on our own. I pray right now that you would come down in a mighty work of conversion. If there's anybody here who is sitting and thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. That their hearts would be changed. That their mind would be renewed. And they would come to rejoice along with every other believer in the good things that you've prepared for your people. That which no eye could see, no ear could hear, the heart of man could never, ever fathom that you would send your own son to hang on a cross, to die, to open up life forevermore for us. We praise you for that. We thank you that you've revealed it to us. Let us never depart from your way and your will and your word. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.